Would you open with me in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. And let's open in prayer. Father, we humbly come before you. We come with a, a broken and contrite heart that's pleasing to you. We come with a heart that wants to hear. And the Spirit says to the church, he who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. And we know that you speak the Word of God and you take the Spirit takes that Word and speaks to us. And that's what we desire to hear today is we want to hear the, the truth the truth about how we are to live our lives and how we honor you and the work that you want to do in our lives. So Lord, we submit to you. We cry out, Abba, Father. We cry out that we need to hear a fresh word from you. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm not going to read the text as I normally do as, as we begin, but... I'll kind of go through it as we go together today. But I wanted to share a story that that last song we did was It's Well, It's Well with My Soul. It was written after traumatic events in a, a man's Spafford's life. The first was a, a death of his two-year-old son at the Chicago Fire in 1871. He was ruined by that fire financially. Again, everything that he had in his hands was ripped out. His business interests were further hit in economic development in 1873, at which time he planned to travel to Europe with his family to, to get away, to escape. And at the last moment before he got on that ship, he put his wife and his four daughters on that ship and, and they would go off because he had to go down to the planning department and some of the land that was destroyed, they had to rezone it and he had to be there and he says, I'm going to take the, the next ship. And as that ship crossed the sea, it collided with another ship. And it went down very, very quickly to the bottom of the ocean. His wife Anna survived, and yet the four daughters died. She sent a telegram, simply said, saved alone. Shortly afterwards, he traveled to meet his grieving wife, and he was inspired to write the words of that song. As the ship passed that area, that his wife had went down when the two ships had collided. He wrote that song. It is well with my soul. Personally, I've confronted many things as you've confronted many things, and I know how I would like to act if I were in a, a crisis situation. But to be very truthful, I don't know how I will react until it comes to that day, that time. And what's important is that I get that Word of God hidden in my heart, that I know 
who God is in a personal way. When we talk about eternal life is knowing God, knowing that God is still on the throne, that God is still love, and God has a plan. Even though things are ripped out of our hands, God's going to use it in some way that there can be this perfect peace in your heart. I can't imagine what it would be like to lose one child, let alone five and four at once. But he wrote, it is well with my soul. For the Christian, life is not only a blessing, it is a battle. In fact, it's a struggle. And no one who seriously desires to please God in doing His will can go through life without meeting these tragedies, the opposition of the enemy. It is a fact. You will be confronted, not once, but probably time and time again. And I found in my own life they... They start small and they seem to be a huge crisis. And, and as I go through that, God has strengthened me and built me up a little more through that circumstance. And the next one is even more difficult, but it's not because He's prepared me for that one. And as you go through that one, there's another one, there's another one. And all of these things are to prepare you and me for eternity. Did we choose to trust in the Lord and lean not on our own understanding. To cast our cares upon Him and not take them back. To rest, really rest in the Lord. When you're in the midst of a tragedy, when the anxiety is just out of control, it's hard to rest, it's hard to pray, it's hard to read. But I want to encourage you, that's the place that God wants to bring you. It's the place that when you and I get there, that we know that we're maturing. When there's that peace that passeth all understanding, no matter what happens, we know that He'll never leave us or never forsake us. He's never promised to take these things away from us, but He's promised to go through them with us. And I don't think there's any more peace than when you're going through a circumstance and know He is there. He's the one that's holding you. He's the one that's sustaining you. He's the one that's keeping you until that day. This is how we come to know God is in these storms, in these trials. And, and that's exactly what Paul is going through. Look in chapter 3 of 1 Thessalonians in verse 1. It says, Therefore, when we could endure it no longer, we thought it best to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy. Paul, a man of faith. If there was anyone who is, his faith had been tested and it had come through, it is certainly Paul. But again... And again, in this case, the anxiety has is, is been building and building and building, if you remember, because 
He described himself as a, like a father and like a mother, again, to those that were in Thessalonica. They were like his spiritual children. He loved them. He adored them. He was their spiritual father, their spiritual mother, and, and now ripped out of his hands. He knew, again, the Great Commission to go, but it wasn't just to go. It was to nurture. It was to disciple and teach him the things the Word of God, how to walk and how to live. In such a short time, he had. And we're going to see his response and, and their responses. Now in my text it says, therefore, when we could endure it no longer, and certainly it's speaking of Silas and Timothy with them, and we thought it best to be left behind at Athens. Well, probably it was a joint decision, but it was, we're going to see that it was Paul that was left in Athens. Because Timothy and Silas were still in Berea. As Paul goes. Now, Paul was not only an evangelist, but he was a pastor. He had that pastor's heart to love and nurture and, and want to pull them in and, 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 and just really take care of all their problems. As a mom and dad, you remember that first time that your, your child was sick and, and they could walk around. Maybe they were throwing up and, and they really don't have the vocabulary to talk. They don't know what's going on. And, and you would probably wanted to do anything. You, you would throw up for them if you could. You wanted to take it away from them, but, but you couldn't. And the thing is, sometimes it's necessary. We go through those trials for the father, for the mother, that they would grow, they would mature, they would learn to trust in God and know that God is faithful, but also the child. To have his own experiences. Not just experiences, but experiences with God to understand that God's hand is there and he's the one that will keep them. And this was the anxiety burning him because he wanted to, to take it away if there was any possible way that he could. Again, he led them to the Lord, but, but would they stand firm? Would they continue? When the persecution started, the waves, the trials, how would they respond? I'm sure as a mother or as a, a father, if your kids have gone away to college, how, how are they going to, to live? Are they, are they going to just go the way of the world? And sometimes we hold too tightly to them when they're young instead of preparing them. And when we've done that and turned them loose, our kids do go wild if we don't teach them how to make decisions. Paul just didn't have sufficient time. He felt abandoned, and, and they certainly felt abandoned. Jump down to verse 5 in our text. It says, when I could endure it no longer. Paul writing singular, I couldn't endure it any longer. And then it goes on, and we thought it best to be left behind Athens alone, and we sent Timothy. Paul was just overwhelmed with this anxiety. But it was love and action. He did what he could. Again, it would be Timothy that would go and bring him this good news 
He didn't run from it. He went on. He remembered his calling and what God had called him to do. And he was a missionary. He was to go. But he did the next best thing. Entrusted someone else. A faithful man. Timothy. Paul gives his reasoning for sending Timothy because he goes on, we couldn't stand or or we couldn't endure it any longer. So again, it wasn't just Paul, but, but I believe Paul was the one that was leading, maybe even the one that made the final decision. We all can endure. So I say we send Timothy. And by sending Timothy, Paul was communicating his love for the flock, for the people, that they cared about him. They didn't leave him alone. And Timothy would be the one again and again that would go and build up and nurture and encourage. He would strengthen that flock. In fact, he sent his best. Paul described Timothy. I have no one like-minded like him that care and love the flock the way that I do. He sent his best. You know, the Father sent His best, His only begotten Son for you and me. That's how we are to live. To send the best. To be concerned. To love. What's interesting is Paul was willing to be left alone in Athens. A hostile environment. But not only just to be left alone, to, to give up a, a co-worker, a, a fellow worker in a city called Athens. Athens was a world, one of the world's oldest cities and center of arts and learning and philosophy, the home to Plato's Academy, Aristotle's, Lyosum, possibly the birthplace of democracy, a place that was very hostile to the gospel. It was a city full of idolatry. And it provoked again Paul in his spirit in Acts 17, 16. It led him to confront again the philosophers on Mars Hill. It was a city that had an unknown God that he would speak to him. If you've been afar to another country that you're not familiar with, the, the culture, the customs the language. It can be very uncomfortable if you're all alone. I've been in that place, in a place that I'm not sure where I'm at. You cannot communicate. And and certainly Paul would understand some of that language, but everything was so different. And the bottom line is it was hostile to the gospel. They did not want to hear the good news because they were so wise in their own mind. It was a city. It was as pagan as pagan could be. When we went through 1 Corinthians, we talked about how a thousand female prostitutes would come down in the city at nighttime for their God. Paul says, I'll stay. Go see how. Those are in Thessalonica. In 2 Timothy 2 3, 
Paul writes, suffer the hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. See, this life is not just a wonderful life. Yes, it's wonderful. But life is hard. It is a battlefront. We're to put on the armor of God each day. We're to stand firm in Christ, steadfast, remembering our calling. What has He called you to do? He called me to do. And every one of us are confronted in a different way. Because each of us are called to a different purpose. And we must remain true to that. Again, in verse 1, we thought it best to be left behind in Athens. So we sent Timothy. Acts 17.15 says this, Now those who escorted Paul brought him as far as Athens and receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible so we can actually see that they weren't even there. They didn't even escort him. But there were just some men that went along and left him on your own and in your city. And I'll tell you, if you've been someplace and, and it's another culture and they don't speak the same language, it's very difficult. I remember when I was going from Tel Aviv to the, the airport, I was on a train and the train takes you right in and they were speaking in Hebrew and I didn't know a word. I didn't know where to get off at. I'm grabbing my suitcase, hanging on and, and someone came up to me and says, you know, where are you going? Where are you from? I'll help you. I'll tell you when. And they just started talking, helping me relax. They were an encourager. Why are you here? And before I knew it, I was there. And if you don't have someone who comes along in a difficult time like that, your anxiety builds. And that's what it was for Paul. Notice in verse 2 that Timothy is described as their brother, a brother in the Lord. But he's a, a co-worker, a fellow worker. And notice it's in the Gospel of Christ. When it talks about a co-worker, it, it means he's a team player. As a pastor, it's not about me. We're here together. God has put us here as a family. We stand together. We serve together. We minister together. We go out in the community and we are a light together bringing the light of God's goodness and mercy and grace to this community. And to lose that co-worker, to be on his own, was very difficult. You know, the work of the gospel, if you remember, was a mystery. Yet it was the good news, and they didn't know the bad news yet. And Paul was bringing him the good news. But first he had to help them understand their hopeless, helpless condition. So they would respond to the good news. And for you and me, that's true. We, we begin, number one, by living that gospel. If we live that gospel and then we proclaim that gospel, people will see that we're not a hypocrite, but we believe it, we trust in it, and when we tell them, they're more likely to listen to us because they see it lived out before them. In verse 2, we see Timothy's mission. It, it was is really to strengthen and to encourage them in the faith. Does anyone need encouragement today? 
Every one of us need encouragement every day. Each one of us are confronted with things that we don't want to face. Isn't that true? Sometimes I, I, I would try and put it off, put it off, put it off, put it off, and, and finally when I got to it, I had to get to it. It had to be dealt with. Oh, this wasn't so bad. Anyone ever been in that place? Yeah. But to strengthen and to encourage them in their faith. That is the believers that were in Thessalonica. That, that word again, uh, uh, to strengthen, means to, to fix something in place, to establish it, to, to make it firm, to make it steadfast. To strengthen. See, what they were going through, that is the Thessalonians, it was going to strengthen them because they were going to come and know who God is. What Paul was going through was to strengthen Paul and help him understand this God is using in his life. Even though they didn't understand it. Not only that, it becomes a witness, a testimony to everyone all around. Now the, the primary use of this word in the New Testament is it's a, and it's inwardly establishing a strengthened. The faith is strengthened that we can stand firm in our convictions and in our faith and not be compromised. Not be tossed and turned of every wind of doctrine or whatever the circumstance would be. In fact, in Luke twenty-two thirty-two, look on the screen. But I prayed for you that your faith would not fail. And you, when once have turned again, strengthen your brothers. You remember the story with Peter. Don't you love that fact that Jesus, in his high priestly prayer, prayed for you? That is the most powerful thought that he prays for you. Why does he pray for you? Because you need the prayer. You need the strength. He was tempted in every way that you and I are tempted, but he was without sin. But there's not a person here today that's not without sin. And God allows these things in our life that we would grow to mature. But in reality, in the end, it's God who strengthens the believer. We're just a part of that work. We're co-workers. The Bible describes us working with God. 1 Peter 5.10, notice what it says. After you've suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you His eternal glory in Christ will Himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. That means you and I are God's workmanship. Ephesians chapter 2 talks about that. You are His workmanship. And our part is, is to just to submit ourselves to Him and allow Him that free hand in our life. And I'm going to tell you, that's hard. It's hard. We say, Lord, not thy will but yours. And we jump out of the skillet. We've all done that. Again, in 2 Thessalonians 3.3, 3, notice what it says. But the Lord is faithful. He will strengthen. And He will protect you from the evil one. See, when you go through a trial, you go through a storm, these words 
all of a sudden becomes so strong in your life. You cleave to Him. You know that God is real. You know that He does exactly what He says He does. And it's going through these trials, through these storms, that we become stronger. Now, Paul could have his way. He says, oh, you know, I, I don't want to leave him yet. I want to pour more in. But sometimes God separates. It doesn't always make sense to us in our mind. I remember when I came to Hawaii. I was just barely born again. Not knowing I was going to be a pastor. I wanted to stay in a good Bible teaching church and God moved me off on my own. Why? He didn't want me to depend upon a pastor. He wanted me to depend upon him. If there's one message today, he wants you to depend upon him. He is faithful. He is true. No one else can do what he does. Verse 2, it says, strengthen and encourage you as to your faith. Well, what does it mean to encourage? It means to strengthen. It, it means to strengthen, to call a person to a renewed commitment to Him and faith. We could be coming to church every single week and, and not be strengthened in our faith. We can say all the right buzzwords, but then when a storm comes, uh, exit stage right. But strengthen. Know that the Word of God is true. Typically, believers are encouraged to some godly course of action. So when you're strengthened, you, you, you move in faith. Faith in the way that He would direct you. Not in the way that you might have gone. Many were encouraged by Paul's chains. When Paul was in, in bonds, if you remember, they were encouraged how? To speak the Word of God more courageously and fearlessly because they saw his faith in action he still continued to preach can you imagine paul with chains on and still proclaiming the gospel leading people to the lord it didn't affect him or think of philippi when he went to philippi thrown in in prison beaten and thrown in prison and at midnight he's singing praise songs to god the result the jailer gets saved Trials, storms, opposition. It's all part of the big picture. It's all necessary for you and I to grow and, and become what God would have us be. To rest in Him. Earlier, the apostle in, in chapter 2 of 1 Thessalonians in, encouraged them to walk worthy of God. Sometimes that word of courage could be exhorting them to do something or God's grace and love are intended. He told them to encourage your hearts to strengthen every good deed and word. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. But what was the motivation? The motivation of Paul when you stop and think it's based upon love. It was in concern and fear for what lie ahead of the Thessalonians if he could do anything to prevent them from going through or, or better prepare them. But there's a point there where we just sometimes have to trust God. But you love them, you encourage them, you support them, and you point them to Jesus Christ. That's all Paul wanted to do. He wanted to be there. He didn't want to leave them. And as we mentioned last week, he was in, in, in Corinth for 18 months. 
And he would have stayed longer if he could. He loved them. He cared about them. He wanted to ground them in the, in the very word of God. Look at verse 3 in our text. So that no one would be disturbed by these afflictions for you yourselves. No, we have been destined to these things. Not just them, but the apostle, Silas, Timothy. It's. I want to encourage you. If you're not going through something today, you will be going through it again. Oh, not just again and again and again and again. That's how it works, doesn't it? But the Lord becomes bigger and greater and more real. Job put it this way in Job chapter 5, verse 6. For affliction does not come from the dust, nor does trouble sprout from the ground, for man is born for trouble, and sparks fly up. It happens. And we don't understand why it happens. We're all destined to these times. Maybe you've gone through them, but they're coming. Maybe your friend's going through them, and you will go through them with your friend. Romans chapter 5, look at verses 1 through 5 with me. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also obtained a, our introduction by faith into this grace which we stand. And we exalt in hope in the glory of God. Not, and not only this, but we exalt in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings perseverance and perseverance proven character and proven character hope and hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has given us God desires first in your life faithfulness faithfulness to the word faithfulness to him and that faithfulness there's character and that's something that I see in the Bible that God wants character godly character in you People argue about the type of leadership in a church. And yet I see all the different types of leadership within the body of Christ. But if they do not have godly character, it doesn't matter what kind of leadership. What God is forming in you and me is godly character. Character that does not waver, that leans and trusts on Him and looks to His wisdom and looks to His strength and looks to Him for everything and all of their needs. It's them and them only that can say, it is well with my soul. Because the character, it's, it's something that we grow in maturity. See, a person's attitude and actions, while under duress, reveal really the kind of individual and the character. Sometimes you see this person, they just look like they've got it all together, and all of a sudden they're going through something like, who is that person? And that's why God allows us to go through that to reveal first to ourselves and, and even to others. To take away that layer of hypocrisy. To bring us to that broken and contrite heart where we're dependent upon Him and Him alone. Before I come to Christ, I always thought I could solve all the problems. I could solve my wife's problems. I could solve the business problems. I could solve my customers' problems. Anyone else like that? I'm not, I don't want to be like that anymore. 
that kind of person that I just described, they call that a, a rescuer. You're always trying to rescue someone. There's only one rescuer. That is Jesus Christ. He's the one that has rescued you from death, your sins. And he's given you life. He's given you abundant life in Him. Again, that time when you're squeezed, when you're put in that narrow place, and the trouble and the affliction, the distress and the persecution, the heat of that persecution, it's, it's real easy to just exit stage right or stage left, whatever it will be. I think I've been there. Maybe you've been there before. The best place to be is helpless, dependent upon God. Second Corinthians eleven twenty three and twenty five, Paul's describing he was beaten up more times than I can count at the at death's door time and time. I've been flogged five times with uh, with the Jews thirty nine lashes, beaten with Roman rods three times plummeted with rocks once. I've been shipwrecked three times, immersed in the open sea night and day. Man, did he have a bad life. But yet at midnight, he's praising God because he knew that God was still on the throne. Scripture is thoroughly realistic when you stop and think about it, about the place of suffering in this world and in the life of the believers. It's not come to Jesus and everything will be fine. That's another Jesus who is not really true that gives you that story. To become a Christian is not to escape from suffering, but it's to be able to bear the suffering with dignity and hope in Jesus Christ. Persecution was a fact for those early Christians. The book of Acts documented again in Acts chapter 7, the, the death of Stephen. Or in Acts 12, James, the brother John, was put to death with the sword. Or remember just Saul, who became Paul, who was breathing these death threats to kill Christians. And it's been ever since the fall of man, that way man has suffered in many ways. Look at verse 3 again, so that no one would be disturbed by these afflictions, for you yourself know that we've been destined for these things. And there's often a, a misunderstanding a, a, about suffering. Suffering is necessary in our life. It's all part of the growth process. Paul knew that there were really two dangers that would accompany this idea of, of, of persecution or suffering or afflictions. Number one, glossing over suffering. Sometimes people just gloss over. They, they move too quickly through the suffering and they do not allow the suffering, whether it be a physical pain, emotional pain, really to do what God would have them do. To learn the lesson well, as I often say. Lord, help me learn this lesson well. I don't want to go through this again. But it's necessary. 
There's a reason that he allows. On the, the other hand, and, and, and thinking of suffering, is something that's permanent. Sometimes some people think, I, I'm just damaged goods and this is my life, and that becomes their identity. That's not your identity. Your identity is in Christ Jesus. And people just change and no longer take the Word of God as the Word of God and believe it and trust in it and rest in it and look to it for guidance and strength. Another thought is that we can be tempted to gloss over the pain of others. I've seen people going through a difficult emotional thing and people just kind of kind of ignore it and they don't want to deal with it. They're not willing to sit and listen. Care. But they'll run from it. Avoid it. People can often fail to recognize the seriousness of pain and suffering. The scars that can be in in, in, in a lifetime. But, but then a person can grow from there and realize they're in Christ. Yes, they're scarred. But God has so much more for them than just being this person. That's the world that marks us that way. That it keeps us helpless under the world's control it's instead of submitting and being people of faith, moving forward and becoming what God would have us be. Sometimes people forget how long suffering can last. Sometimes it goes a long, long time. There's a point that we have to just say enough is enough and move on. But suffering is normal. Grief is normal. It's healthy. And we should go through it with others and not gloss over it. But we also must remember, not ignore the encouraging words of the psalmist. Look at Psalm 30, verse 5. Weeping lasts for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Don't you love that? Yeah, there are times. It, it, it just seems almost unbearable. But you know, in the morning, joy comes. You know, it's not continuing to, to wallow in that situation. It's moving on. It's taking the time that it needs Allowing God that free hand. But recognize this is not a permanent situation. This is not eternal. There's something that God wants us to learn. We can lose sight. Three simple truths about suffering. First, to repeat the faulty reasoning, if you remember, of Job's friends. They, they said, well, you're going through this. There must be sin in your life. Anyone ever have someone come up and say, well, you know, going through a difficult time, there, there must be sin in your life. The moment I, I got saved, there was a gal. She come, there must be sin in your life. No, all that was the things that God was bringing me. Yes, maybe that was sin, but there were consequences of choices. But then... There were times it still continued, and I found out that God was there with me. He was sustaining me, and He was keeping me, and I would go through it again in a minute. Because it's in those times, just like I talked about that for the girl Kawhi, that I learned 
that God was so much bigger, so much more real. And that whenever I'm in that situation or I'm speaking to someone else, I can encourage them. God will meet them exactly where they're at. They just have to turn to Him and be with Him. And Job's friends begin to just tear him down. Well, in the Bible, there's no one who had more faith than Paul, and yet he knew in advance that he would suffer affliction. All of us will, of some type. Man, things can be just going good, and all of a sudden it's like the rug is pulled out from under you. A friend of mine once said, he says, it's, it's these valleys I, 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 I didn't like. And then I realized, he says, that there's this mountain peak. I like that. But then I look back and there's, there's a valley on both sides of those mountain peaks. And he said, I just learned to look for that mountaintop and realize, yeah, I'm going to go through that valley, but there's another mountain on the other side. And God would sustain me and keep me. In fact, he says that is Paul, we've been destined to this. Suffering does not indicate a, a, a weakness of God. No, no. In Acts 9.16, notice what it says, for I will show you how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Sometimes we suffer for God's name's sake. We become a witness, a testimony. God is real. When people are willing to lay down their life, martyrdom, so many people have been saved when they've gone through circumstances when someone has gone before i'm thinking of john huss now they took and they burned him at his stake they put wicker around and poured kerosene in and he sang praise songs to the lord and many people come to the lord because of his faith when people choose to stand for they see that the person believes and trusts and rests in god and not in their own selves Matthew 27, beginning at verse 39, and those passing by were hurling abuses at him, wagging their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy this temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself if you are the Son of God. Come down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests also, along with the scribes and the elders, were mocking him, saying, he saves others, but he can't save himself. He is the King of Israel. Let Him come down from the cross and we will believe Him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue Him now if He delights in Him. For He had said, I am the Son of God. Now some people say that Jesus never claimed to be God or the Son of God. Right there is clear. See, they had challenged Him, the mockers, to exert His strength, come down off the cross. But Jesus was demonstrating His strength. He willingly gave Himself. It took more strength to stay on the cross. He could have said the Word and all the angels would have freed Him. See, suffering doesn't indicate, again, a loss of usefulness. No, no. In fact, in Paul's case, his physical weakness forced him to rely upon God's strength. In fact, look with me in 2 Corinthians 12.10. It says, therefore, I am well content with weakness, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. When I'm weak, then I am strong. Every person that I know 
that has gone through affliction and suffering, it's in those weak times, in those valleys, they recognize the only place they can turn is Jesus, and Jesus is the one that sustains them and keeps them. These are difficult words. They're, they're not the most encouraging words. But these words, if you take them and hide them in your heart, when you go through a difficult time, you will be able to stand firm and steadfast in the Lord. Because this is the Word of God. This is describing the, the faithfulness of God, what others have learned about God. Suffering is simply a part of this life. It's on this side of eternity. It is not on the other side of eternity. He gives us the power to grow through these sufferings. And the Christian life involved, involves obedience to Christ. Despite temptations and hardships. Look at verse 4. For indeed, when we were with you, we kept telling you in advance that we we're going to suffer this affliction. And it came to pass, as you know. I like how Ray Comfort said it. Jesus is not something that we put on to make the journey more comfortable. He's not a life enhancer. No. He's a life rescuer. And oftentimes that's what the church is just trying to get people to come in the church. Just, just trust Jesus and everything will be fine. No. He's not to enhance it. He does. There's no better life than being in Christ. But what he is is a life rescuer. Rescue you from yourself. He definitely makes our lives richer and better. There's not a, a question about it. But also more purposeful. And these circumstances prepare us to minister and then to comfort others with the comfort that we've received from him. Philip Yancey put it this way. He made a, a startling statement about some Christians and their view of pain. Christians would probably uh, admit that pain was God's mistake. And he sh should have worked a little harder, invented a better way of coping with these world's dangers. No, it's not a mistake. God allows it. He allows it for a purpose. Because he loves you with an everlasting love. And this is what was happening to those in Thessalonica. In fact, look with me on the screen, 1 Thessalonians 2, 14 and through 16. For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you also endured the same sufferings at the hands of your own countrymen, even as they did from the Jews who both killed the Lord Jesus Christ, the prophets, and drove us out. They're not pleasing God, but they're hostile to all men, hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they would be saved. With the result that they would always fill up the measure of sins, but the wrath has come upon them to the utmost. You know, people come against you, come against me. Why? Because you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. They want to hinder your relationship. They want to rob you of joy if they can. They want to prevent you of standing firm in the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul knew persecution as well as pain and sorrow. He knew well what they were and why he went through them. Look at verse 5. For this reason, when I could endure it no longer, I also sent out to find out about your faith. For the fear that the tempter might have tempted you and our labor would be in vain. 
like a mom, like a dad. How's our kids doing? Are they standing firm? Are they doing the right thing? Paul's fear, well, it was that they would misunderstand what God was really doing. Why is he allowing this? The reality is that suffering was inevitable a part of every believer's life. You cannot avoid it. You may avoid it, what seems to be avoided for a while, but all of a sudden, once it hits, it's like just one wave after another. So he sent Timothy to check on them, to, to hear the encouraging word. Look with me in verse 6. We see really that response to suffering, but now that Timothy has come to us and from you, he has brought us good news about your faith and love. And that you always think kindly of us, longing to see us, and just as we also long to see you. You know, Satan, though, stop and think, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. To rob you of the joy, to destroy the work. His ultimate goal is to steer people away from trusting in God, resting in God, and leading others to the faith. But in contrast, the the test of reality is not just an orthodox acceptance of, of, of really the Christian creed that we often talk about, but it's faith working through love. Not just faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, but also your love for all the saints. See, that, that faith in Him, faith that He will sustain us, and faith that He will give us the strength to reach out, to get beyond ourselves, to, to get out of our little circle. And step by faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please Him. As it turns out, the Christians in Thessalonica, they weren't confused about the experience of suffering in their lives or Paul's. Sometimes amazed at little kids, the things they say. They're just brilliant. And then they grow up and they're dumb sometimes. You know what I mean? They, they ask some of the most intelligent questions and challenging to my, my own mind. Or, or, or they simply believe that God will answer in prayer. What happens to us? Jesus says, we're to come like a little child. I pray that each one of us would come to Him in prayer like a little child. That we come to Him in the Word of God. Speak. Let the Word of God speak to us. Believe it and trust it and rest it. Our response to suffering should be the same as those in Thessalonica. Faith and love. Faith speaks again to that relationship toward God and love speaks in that relationship, yes, to God, but also to one another. That includes loving the unloving as well. Well, let's look at these words just together and I'll try and rush through this a little bit. First, the love. This, this whole text is just permeated with the word love. And look back at verse 5 just for a second. When I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. He, he's, he's concerned about what's going on in their lives. This love that he has for them. This is the, the motivation. What helped the, the Thessalonians was really this, this love that he had for them. The love of the Lord and the, and the love of really of Paul. John 15, 12 says this. This is my commandment. Love one another. I've loved you. 
I like to share an illustration about a, a, a student in a, in a seminary. And this student, he wanted to be a better teacher than his Sunday school teacher. But they couldn't remember a thing that their teacher said when they were young. But do you know what they remembered? The love. How much they loved God and how much those teachers loved them and cared for them and wanted the best for them. That was what motivated them to continue in the Lord until they grew up to here. Certainly there's things that we retain. But love is that mark that the world needs to see. Well, the other word is faith. The idea of faith is, again, just permeates the whole passage again. And look at verse 2. In our text, we see Timothy to strengthen and encourage you in your faith. Verse 5, and I sent to find out about your faith. And then in verse 6, and Timothy has just now come to us and has brought good news about your faith. And in verse 7, and we were encouraged because of your faith. What helped the Thessalonians in their time of suffering was their faith knowing who God was, knowing that God was a God of love and He was on the throne. He sent loving, faithful people into their life. It's what sustained them, their faith and their love for God. But also, it was their intimate knowledge of Him. In verse 7, for this reason, brother, in all of our distress and affliction, we were comforted about you through your faith. And, and for now, or for now, we really live. And if you stand firm, in the Lord. See, they took God at His Word. They took God at His Word. Now what I want to call your attention to is that we're going to suffer. Paul was suffering emotionally. He had high anxiety. Suffering because of the, the people he cared about. He wanted to help him. He couldn't be there. He knew what persecution. He knew what the tribulation was. He had been beaten. He didn't want to see them go through it, but it was necessary. He wanted them to know that God loved them. He was suffering. They would have to go through it. And suffering comes to all of us at times. You might feel the pain right now, but as you go through the suffering, you've got to keep your mind on a few things. And the first thing is, don't misunderstand why you're there. Don't misunderstand this suffering. It's not a, a sign of deficiency in you or either God. It's simply a part of living in this world is something that God allows that you do grow and you do trust don't shortchange your suffering that that means uh, try to cover it up just gloss over it move past it learn the lesson well that God has for you learn the lesson well why am I here and God will often remind you of the hope that's in him again don't exalt in your you're suffering, giving it a longer shelf life than it should. You've got to move on from it. Enough is enough. And I think all of us have come to that point time and time in our life in different areas that, that we're here, 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 and finally say, that's it, I can't stand no more. I, I've just got to face the consequences. And don't forget the love and the faith, which will help you stand sustain you, and keep you. You question the suffering, look at the cross, what Jesus endured for you. Know that He loved you with an everlasting love. 
Jesus understands he has sent the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, to comfort you, and we just turn and look to him.